The Episcopal Church permits uh, in the rubrics, the, the rules for how Sundays go and, and other days in the life of the church, its worship, that on the Sunday nearest the day of the patronal <coughs> festival of the church, you can transfer that feast to the Sunday. So St. Luke's Day is October the 18th, which is Tuesday. So October the 16th is the closest Sunday. And every year on the closest Sunday, or sometimes it's on Sunday, we uh, celebrate St. Luke's, our patron. So I thought I'd say some things today about uh, general introduction to St. Luke's St. Luke 1A, a little bit about his gospel and the book of Acts, and then to say some things about how we might uh, appropriate that and see uh, what a privilege it is to be in a parish that's dedicated to St. Luke the Physician. The practice, you know, originally of having churches with titles like St. Luke's or St. Matthew is because uh, the churches were built over the sites of the martyrs. And then as time went on, people began to realize the value of uh, the, the sort of the, what, what that particular saint uh, stood for in some ways, and they felt that that was what they wanted to call themselves as a title for their church. There are more churches in our diocese dedicated to St. Luke than any of the other uh, titles. St. Luke's Los Gatos, St. Luke's Hollister, St. Luke's Halone. <laughs> That's in the back of beyond. And St. Luke's Atescadero. So at one time, this was a much bigger diocese. It was all the diocese of California. So there's St. Luke's San Francisco, too. and. Uh, there's five dedications that I know of to St. Luke's and maybe another one in, in the Diocese of California now, but I can't remember. So St. Luke's looms large. There's no reason to believe that the gospel that bears Luke's name was not written by Luke, and there's no reason to believe that he was not a physician. And many churches who are dedicated to St. Luke refer to themselves as St. Luke the physician, and in fact, in uh, old letterheads that I've discovered at, at St. Luke's, that's what they said, St. Luke's the, the physician. So the idea of healing and wholeness is sort of thematically something that we feel uh, is important. There are more healing stories in Luke's gospel than in any of the other gospels. So clearly for, the, for Luke, healing was important and the Savior's healing work and we always have to remember that for Luke, he's writing about two principal themes. There's more that I'm going to speak of in a couple of minutes. Uh, there's a two-volume set that was written by Luke, the Gospel according to St. Luke and the Book of Acts. The same person wrote both of them. So the major theme in the first book, the Gospel, is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And the major theme in the book of Acts is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in the church. So there's a transfer that takes place that the people of God now become the fiduciaries and the beneficiaries of God's Holy Spirit. God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. So today's gospel, for example, has Jesus in the power of the Spirit 
coming to this synagogue and reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. There are some other things, though, thematically that are important, and I want to talk about them. Um, history, for Luke, is the history of salvation. History has been transformed by the words and the works of Jesus Christ. Salvation can be seen in the here and now in the processes of healing and wholeness. We are to be concerned for the poor. Luke writes more about economic justice and equity than any other gospel writer. He's very concerned about that. And we are able to do God's work because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So Luke in his gospel has five things that are sort of overarching sub-themes to this presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think they're good because I, I like to be in a parish that sort of stands for what is in this gospel. The first one is world affirmation. And what that may mean is that Luke affirms the compatibility of human nature and Christianity, and human symbols are adequate vessels of the good news about God. So Luke is the least world-denying of all of the gospel writers, and he is generally approving of those outside the Christian movement, which means that he's generous in his outlook about this. He doesn't uh, speak in a way, he's not as exclusivist, perhaps, as some of the other New Testament writers. Luke is uh, a Gentile, and he is the Shakespeare of the New Testament. His Greek is the best. It's, all, it's the heart, I mean, you know, he, he, it was obviously his first language. So his, his group, the people that he preached to and uh, was part of the community were Gentile Christians, Greek-speaking Greek Christians, and probably influenced by Hellenistic philosophy. So that will give you some idea of that outlook. The other theme that's in his gospel is something called the Great Reversal, you know, and it's in the stories and the parables about, well, the people who got a lot now aren't going to have a lot, you know, or you're going to have things turned upside down and you're going to have to learn to look at things in a different way. So to affirm the world for Luke does not mean that you affirm all of the human conduct, all human conduct or all human structures. And in Luke and in Acts, Luke challenges human complacency and security. And for him, those who are powerful, rich, and have consolation. You know the story of Deeds and Lazarus? You know, you had yours, right? It's, tur it's turning around now here. Within society, who seek on that basis to justify themselves are going to be in for a surprise. And as these people test and reject Jesus, they are cast down or lowered in, and in the end cut off from the people. So what it's about is um, cultivating a certain species of humility with, with regard to how you think about who you are and what that's going to do for you and so forth. I remember this in my own life. My grandfather, you know, middle class life in America, he sent me to iMagnets every Christmas. Maybe some of you don't know iMag. It was a very deluxe department store, not far from our store on Maiden Lane. It was on uh, Stockton, or yeah, Stockton, Geary. Geary. 
So he would send me there to get my grandmother's Christmas present. And he would tell me to go to the perfume counter and tell me what he wanted me to get for him. <coughs> and then he would say, I started doing this when I was 12. And he would say to me, and when you get there and you get this, you tell them who you are. <laughs> now there's an affirmative side of that, isn't there? You know who you are. And part of the Christian faith in life is knowing who you really are, right? But he meant who I was related to him. So, so that, at the time, I thought, boy, this is just cool. <laughs> right? So, you know, it was the days when they had, the, you know, the pneumatic tubes that would run all over the top of the store and the change came down and the cashier somewhere else uh, did, uh, made the change and then it was shot down into the place where the, the cashier was and they gave you the change and so forth and they'd write the charge up on the, all that tissue paper and those leather bound things and, you know, uh, is this a cash or a charge? You know, that kind of thing. So you have to know who you are and make sure you don't get too impressed by all of that. Um, Luke also believes in conversion. And so when somebody believes now that they need to turn around and look at their life in a new way, this is an important thing. And uh, the most uh, startling example of that in the New Testament is Paul's conversion in the book of Acts. We'll leave alone for a minute uh, that Paul's description of his own conversion differs to some degree from how it is described in the book of Acts. But in its particulars, uh, in both cases, he had a transformative experience that was very important. Probably the most important thing for Luke is the last one I'm going to talk about, and that's the response of faith. And what he uh, is concerned about in that regard is one of the ways that you demonstrate that is through how you handle your possessions. What is the relationship that you have with your stuff? And how do you live a life where you, you know, as I said last week, I think, most of us are not tomorrow going to make a decision to give up all our stuff. We're not going to do it. We're not going to say, I now live a life of renunciation. We can even say to ourselves, I wish to simplify my life, which is not a bad plan. And everybody can do that. But most of us <coughs> are going to keep our stuff. So the question is, what are we going to do with it? And how are we going to be with regard to generosity? And how are we going to be about uh, the willingness to extend? And for Luke, in his life and ministry, that was an extremely important thing. Generosity and hospitality are signs of God's transforming work in you. Remember some years ago, the... Uh, show on PBS with Houston Smith and Bill Moyers on the world's great faith traditions. And on one of them, I think it was uh, episode four or episode five, Bill Moyers said to Houston Smith, how would you know if you're making any spiritual progress? What would you look to in your life to or say this represents some species of spiritual progress? And Houston Smith said, in his study of all of the great faith traditions in the world, without exception, 
people describe the transformative work that they have felt taking place in them by an increase in the generous impulse, in the recovery of the natural human characteristic to be generous. This doesn't mean just with money. It means with the giving of self. It means with helping people with regard to commending the practical wisdom that is in you and the ability to look at others who are different than you are and to be generous in your assessment of who they are and where they are. And he said, anybody who tells you that they are making spiritual progress and does not experience that, they are telling you something that is bogus. No amount of self-insight, navel-gazing, uh, getting, you know, whatever it is, is, means anything unless that is an accompaniment. And I think it's right. And certainly in our Christian tradition, uh, Luke, and in his gospel in the book of Acts, uh, seeks to emphasize that uh, as we live. So today in the gospel, we have Luke going into the synagogue, and he is reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. There's a good footnote in this uh, just for us to think of. Uh, this is a, one of the passages that tells us that Jesus knew how to read. Because the scroll gets put, rolled out for him, and he reads the Hebrew text. He reads that famous passage. And then he sits down and said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, in me. So Jesus said, I am here now to announce something that all of you have known, but perhaps haven't focused on. And that is that in our, in our own sacred literature, God's announcement about what's going to take place and the work of God's Spirit has been present always within our special covenanted community in our relationship with God. And I'm here now in person to tell you that this is going to happen. And I'm going to urge on you the necessity to be concerned about the transforming power and work of God in the world. So he said, well, what are the things that are going to happen? The, sight, the blind will recover their sight. We're going to have the prisoners let free. You know, in some sense, he's speaking about these things in a metaphoric sense because he's saying God's liberating work is going to make people feel as if they have been in prison and have been let out in some cases. He also is talking about prisoners, you know, in actuality, but it also means our interior emotional, spiritual, and mental states. That this is something now that's going to uh, happen. And it happens because you now have cooperated with the Holy Spirit of God. So in his own way, Luke is not unlike John's Gospel. He believes that in the person of Jesus Christ, we have seen embodied these human characteristics that are not unique to him, even if we believe and know that he is the unique focus of the Divine Presence because he was selfless with regard to imparting those gifts to other people. And by watching that him, they learned how to do this. So we go back to the my oft-repeated Dalai Lama quote, right? What do I need to do to achieve spiritual enlightenment? It's very important to be a good person. 
So some people may think, well, that doesn't sound very religious. And it's very religious, actually. Being the best human being you can be is what it's all about. You know, a lot of biblical scholarship over the last 50 or more years has focused on the fact that Christian people should not be yearning and laboring for some future location where they're really going to get it or now be forever in a state of bliss but that they cooperate with the divine initiative, the spirit of God within them, and they assist in creating that situation here. It is beyond our capability and graphs to do it in absolute and perfect terms. Nobody can do that but God. But for some reason, God needs us. It is part of the great mystery of the Christian faith and life that there are any of us at all. You know, God is a self-sufficient being, thought thinking itself. But somehow God needed to create, to move out. And so we're necessary for this plan. We're part of how it's going to come to be. And Luke is perhaps one of the great gospel writers about that reality. So this week, give thanks for... Uh, uh, being in a parish that's part of St. Luke, uh, uh, that's dedicated to St. Luke's. And remember in our mission statement, we're all for acceptance, inclusiveness, love, justice, and peace. So the way you cooperate uh, with the divine initiative is to try to bring those qualities to all aspects of your life. Amen. Amen.